it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me, but Jesus didn't stay dead. The Lord is risen. Thank you. Yes, he's risen indeed. And in Revelation uh, chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, the writer of the gospel that we've been looking at, greets his readers with the pronouncement of grace and peace from Jesus Christ, uh, whom he says is the firstborn from the dead. And that title for Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, may strike you as odd. After all, in the gospel accounts, there are others that Jesus, in the time of his earthly ministry, before his crucifixion, that he raised up. John's told us in chapter 11 about uh, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, and uh, raising him to life. Or if we look at the other gospel writers, Mark chapter 5 tells us about a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus and his daughter uh, who was sick to death. And by the time Jesus got in there, she died, but he raised her. Luke chapter 7 tells us of Jesus raising the deceased son of a widow in a little town called uh, Nyan uh, near to Galilee. And all of those people were raised by Jesus before his death. So how is it that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? Well, John hasn't made a mistake in calling him that. Um, And he's not the only one to call him the firstborn from the dead. The apostle Paul calls him the same thing in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. There's something different about Jesus raising others from the dead during his earthly ministry and his rising from the dead. This is the gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. And this is the word of God. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Father, uh, today, as we gather in your presence to worship you through Christ, our risen Lord, Pray, Father, that you would fill us with that same Holy Spirit, that the contemplations of our hearts as we hear your word would conform us more to the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, the Lord is risen indeed. They'd heard about it. Now they see him. And in his resurrection, Jesus is both the start of the new creation and he is that creation's creator. He's the start of the new creation. 
You know, John began his gospel, remember way back when we saw the very beginning of John's gospel, when we started looking at this uh, gospel uh, quite a few months ago, we saw that John began by telling us about that incarnation. And he told us about this one uh, who was the word, who in the beginning was with God, the one who is God. And he told us that the word became flesh and lived among us. And when John says that, that doesn't merely mean that the son of God, this, this one who's identified by John as the word, doesn't merely mean that he took on a human body. Doesn't merely even mean that he took on the whole of a human nature. Both of those things are true. But it means that he entered into this first creation. You see, that word flesh in the Bible oftentimes doesn't merely mean skin. But the word flesh indicates frailty, weakness, temporariness, and what is subject to decay. And so the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 40, all flesh is as grass. And then he explains what he means by that. He says, the grass withers. Quoting that verse, the apostle Peter associates the flesh with being born of perishable seed. And when Lazarus was raised to the great rejoicing of his sisters, I have no doubt, he was nonetheless raised in the flesh to live out the rest of uh, his days in this life, given a, a second lease on life, if you will. But nonetheless, I have no doubt, not protected from the pains or the hardships that any of us go through and eventually to come to the end of his days. But the resurrection of Jesus is different. The apostle Peter writes about him in 1 Peter 3.18. He says of him, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The writer to the Hebrews refers to that same thing when he speaks about Jesus' earthly ministry. And he says of it in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, speaks of Jesus in the days of his flesh. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In emphasizing that, in Peter saying that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, the Bible's not telling us that the resurrection of Jesus is not physical. In fact, we'll see uh, in the coming weeks here that Jesus will invite Thomas to verify the reality, the physicality of his resurrection by touching his hands and his side. In fact, in Luke 24, he'll invite all of his disciples to touch him, to verify that he's not some ghostly apparition. 
And it's significant that we understand how the Bible uses those words because uh, we, I think, are more oftentimes uh, more influenced by Plato than we are by the Apostle Paul. And we, we think of flesh, we naturally think of flesh as being uh, what is solid and substantial and real and spirit as what is ghostly and gossamer and shadowy and ethereal. But in the Bible, flesh indicates what is weak and what is passing away, what is fleeting. And spirit, when it's references to what is brought about by the Holy Spirit, refers to what is strong and lasting and substantial. You know, I'm not going to make a lot of it because John doesn't, but did you, did you notice here that we're told that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the leaders of Judaism, that they'd seen what happened to Jesus, they were concerned that they might be hunted down and might be next, and so they were huddled together and they locked the doors, and John doesn't indicate that, that Jesus came and he knocked at the door and asked for admittance, but all of a sudden he was there with them. That Jesus came and stood among them. And, and John doesn't tell us very much about that, but when we consider what the resurrection of Jesus is, well, C.S. Lewis suggests that perhaps that what's happened is that because Jesus now in his resurrection is solid and substantial and lasting and the world in which we live, which is flesh, is not quite so substantial. It's not that Jesus in his gossamer uh, existence now passes through a solid wall, but Jesus in his solid existence passes through a gossamer wall. Or I would invite you this afternoon to read through the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Each of them have different perspectives and tell us different things, but you'll notice something. Again, it doesn't say it, but you'll get, you'll get the sense of it that, the, that we're told that the angel rolled the stone away and read the accounts and, and see what's intimated there. Why did the angel roll the stone away? It was so that the disciples could see that the tomb was empty. It wasn't so Jesus could leave. The intimation is that Jesus was already gone by the time the stone was rolled away. You see, this is the same Jesus, but he's not the same. And unlike Lazarus, unlike the daughter of Jairus, unlike the son of the widow at Nain, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 7 speaks of him now having an indestructible life. In his incarnation, the Son of God became a part of this creation. 
with all of its weakness and frailty that's been exacerbated by sin coming into the world. And though he himself had no sin, yet he experienced all the demerit of what it lived into a world, live in a world that's been stained by sin. His incarnation, the Son of God, came, became a part of this creation. In his resurrection, the incarnate Son of God is the start of the new creation. And so Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Our Jehovah's Witness friends are quite wrong in thinking that that means that the Son was the first created being. Paul is not there talking about the first creation. He's talking about what the incarnate Son of God became in his resurrection. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the first of the new creation. And we know that because, as Paul says three verses later, he's the firstborn from among the dead. The risen Christ is himself the start of the new creation, but he is also the new creation's creator. You see, in the incarnation, the creator became creature, but he didn't stop being creator. God became man, but he didn't stop being God. And echoing the story of creation in Genesis, John begins his gospel with those words in the beginning. And then John goes on to tell us of the word who uh, was with God, the word who is God. And because he is, John tells us uh, what must follow if we thought it through. That all things came into being by him. That apart from him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. The son is the agent of God's creation. And in his incarnation, he becomes that creation. But in doing so, never ceases to be the creator And now this one who was with God, who is God, who became flesh, who died and rose again to become the start and the pattern of the new creation is the creator of that new creation of which he himself is the start. In verse 21 and 22, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. John alone records that event, records those words. And it seems that those words are anticipatory. They anticipate the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that'll happen 40 days from this event. But, but the imagery of what John says, particularly given the start of his gospel, the imagery and the point are unmistakable. 
In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In that first creation, the creator breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became an animate being of the first creation. And now Jesus breathes upon them the Holy Spirit, yet to be received at Pentecost, but breathes upon them the Holy Spirit. The implication there is clear that they'll be the new creation. Well, isn't that what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Now, you know, when Paul says that, he says it in the same way that John tells us of Jesus breathing upon them, well, the Spirit's yet to come. We don't yet see the fullness of what it means to be the new creation. The Apostle Paul will speak of the outer man wasting away while the inner man is renewed day by day. And John himself, in his first letter, will say, beloved Now, right now, already, we are the children of God, but it's not yet appeared what we shall be. But when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. The Lord is risen indeed. The disciples had heard of it from Mary and from the other women. Now they see him. And in his resurrection, he is both the start of the new creation and that creation's creator. And there are implications to what Jesus does and says here for who we are, how we live, what we are to do, what we can expect, and for understanding our purpose in the world. God willing, we'll look at some of those things in the coming weeks. But for now, this event presses a question. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Is that so for you? Are you in Christ? Has the old passed away? Has the new come? Jesus said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Have you? Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you trusting Christ? Is your life yielded to him? Or is this just a Sunday activity and religious window dressing for your life? Paul writes, test yourselves, examine yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith. For don't you know this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, Paul says, unless... You fail the test. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Are you in Christ? The Lord is risen indeed, and in his resurrection, he's both the start of the new creation and that creation's creator. Are you part of the new creation? Has your life been changed, and is it being transformed in conformity to the image of God in Christ? Let's pray. Father, these uh, things here are beyond our ability to know by our eyes as our elder Michael prayed that uh, nothing uh, in us would reveal these things to us. But you've given to us your Holy Spirit so that we may know these things if we're in Christ. And Father, while you reveal stuff to us, things to us in your word about your, your sovereignty... You don't call us to uh, try to uh, ferret out or fathom out the mind of God and the mysteries of God. You call us to this simple thing, to come and follow Jesus, to yield our lives in all of their dimensions to you. And Lord, help us to examine ourselves, for Christ is the start of a new creation, and he is that new creation's creator. And if we are in him, we are that new creation. And though it's not yet appeared what we shall be, we will nonetheless bear the marks of that new creation. We'll die to sin. We'll live to holiness. We'll by your grace be conformed to the image of Christ. Slowly, incrementally, day by day, but Nonetheless, surely. Help us to examine ourselves, to test ourselves. And if we find ourselves lacking, O oh Lord, to call out to you, for Jesus has never turned away anyone who's come to him sincerely. We'll give you the praise for what you do in his name. Amen. Amen.